Hi, I'm Paul Johnson. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Life Support. I served almost 31 years in prison, and it's, it's, like, it's like now that God has redeemed the time, redeemed everything. It's just like, man, when did that happen? It's like a whole other lifetime. But that's how fast things go. That's how things work when you align your plans with God's plan, when you focus on what He would have you to do and not on your situation. You just heard Willie Benton talking about life after spending 31 years behind bars. How can God redeem a man like Willie? Well, stay tuned to find out. Pastor Paul is on vacation this week. I'm Steve Johnson from Five Stone Media. And recently, my colleague Lee Bailey Sealer and I had a chance to visit prisons in the state of Georgia to talk about our own prison curriculum, which is called Lifeblood. And in the process, we were able to meet Willie and his wife, Anne Maria, and record their remarkable story. Asking the questions is Lee from Five Stone Media, and here's Willie Benton with the first part of his story. When I got in trouble, it started when I was, I would say I was 16, and um, I had a son. I had a child as a teenager, and, and trying to provide um, for, for a young wife and a son, I started selling drugs, got involved with drugs and guns. Um, at least that's what I told myself. That's, those are lives I told myself, the things I needed to do to provide, um, try and take the shortcut. Um, in doing that, I got involved with drugs. My, my brother, I have an older brother, he's older than I am. We got involved with some guys and some guys out of Miami and stuff. So um, at one point, unbeknownst to me, my brother, he actually um, stole some guns and drugs from these guys and never told me anything about it. Um, as a result, they retaliated with me, um, kidnapped me, beat me, and, um, and I actually watched them shoot my brother. So in this one, I was 17, you know, no, no words can describe how angry, how bitter, how frustrated, and how revengeful I was, you know, after seeing that. You know, I thank God my brother didn't die, uh, even though he, you know, it was, it was really horrible what happened to him and me. Um, long story short, I ended up taking the law into my own hand, you know, getting some get back, some revenge. I ended up killing two guys. My coffin and I shot and killed two guys. So I was arrested and charged with two counts of murder when I was 17 years old. Found myself in a whole lot of trouble. Didn't know how to get out of it. Um, and happened in DeKalb County, um, a metro city of Atlanta. And they actually uh, sought the death penalty. It was a death penalty case because of what happened to the two guys getting shot and killed in the car. So, like I said, I found myself in a whole lot of trouble. Um, didn't know how to get out of it. That's, that was the beginning of, of my whole incarceration experience. Um, and it was at that point when I realized they were seeking the death penalty that and being locked in a one-man cell on maximum security, I had a lot of time to reflect on how I got there um, and what, what, what I wanted to do with my life if, you know, I didn't, didn't, you know, if I had another chance at life. So that, that changed my whole perspective because I realized that I hadn't really done anything. And if I, if I died that day or died in that situation, that, you know, that how would my son remember me? How would my family would remember me? How would people who knew me remember me? You know, is, you know, the only thing that they will remember is this negative act that I created. So at that point, I, I kind of vowed that, you know, and I, and I prayed for the first time that if God would, 
you know, show me some mercy, help me out of this situation, that I would do something different with my life. I would make something of myself. Um, so, you know, as God is God, he definitely answered my prayer. I did not receive the death penalty. Instead, I was sentenced to two consecutive life sentences, which is, which is a lot of time for, for a young guy. Um, for some people, it may have seemed like my life was over, but for me, it was a new beginning because I was sentenced to life instead of death. I could have died, but I was still alive, and I had a wonderful opportunity. So in that situation, right then and there, I, I, I made the choice to do something with my life. Um, so in going to prison, in going to one of the worst prisons in Georgia at the time was Alto. It was a prison that housed like 1,700 youthful offenders from the ages of 16 to 23. As you can imagine, this is a madhouse. It, it is the worst prison in Georgia. But it also could be one of the best prisons in Georgia because if you think about something designed for young guys, it had a whole education system. They had the real trade schools, real college programs. They had all those things. Again, you are listening to the story of Willie Benton, who five years ago was released after 31 years in Georgia prisons. God's story for Willie is not over, and we continue now with the questioning from Five Stone Media's Lee Bailey Sealer. When you think back to when you went in, um, did you talk about the way you saw other people in prison, the other young men in prison? Did you see, did you think you were different than other people in prison? Did you think different, do you think? Or did, how did you uh, relate to people you were in with? I'm curious, because you, I haven't heard someone talk about having that realization that quickly before you're really young and that was quick in your early sentence i didn't i didn't think i was different i didn't feel like i was different or special um but as i look back on it now i these are the things that help me understand how real god is because i was born with a set of uh, gifts and talents and things that going to school i liked going to school when i was younger I was always, you know, an above average reader. Um, I was pretty good in school. I always knew how to write, even though I, you know, I never thought anything about the things I was doing as anything different or unique. So given the opportunity to, to go to school as opposed to working, because, you know, prison, they got work camps in Georgia. You can go out there and, you know, dig up, you know, dig up ditches and all this kind of stuff. But I was given the opportunity to do something different. So, and quite frankly, I really, I really, um, at that point, I have, you know, being in one man's cell gave me an opportunity to get to know and love myself. So my focus was really not on what others were doing or, or trying to, you know, be like others or, or even worry about what other people were doing, but really just trying to do the things that, that I like to do that will benefit me. So, yeah, I didn't think I was different or special or anything like that. And also, I wasn't the only one. So, you know, going to, going to school, I, I surrounded myself with people um, who were doing the same type of thing, striving for the same type of thing. So that, 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 that made a difference too. Yeah, talk about hope a little bit and where that comes from. Talk about my mindset. It's, it's interesting to look at things in hindsight because, you know, I, if you, I'm not really a guy that really preaches anything, but if you talk about a praying mother, 
that really gets me excited because my, my mother, she really prayed for me. Even when I didn't want to hear anything about, you know, religion or Jesus or God, she really just prayed for me. And I think God really just watched over and honored, honored that prayer and definitely gave me a different insight, gave me a, a lot of wisdom and discernment that was that was different from from what other people were doing. But even though I was sentenced to life in actually consecutive life sentence or what people call running wild, I because of, because of my case was a death penalty case, they actually gave do in Georgia they give you what you call a unified checklist of appeals. It's 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 a checklist that raises any and every issue that could come up in a death penalty case that may have it overturned. They try to they try to do everything they do. So in doing that, I started going to the law library and started looking up things, understanding things myself. So I understood that at that time a life sentence was not a death sentence. A life sentence did not mean you were getting out. In fact, when I went to prison in, in January, we're talking about January 1988, a life sentence in theory meant you only had to serve seven years before you became eligible for parole. Now, in my situation, because I had two consecutive life sentences, which was enhanced, enhanced punishment, it meant I had to serve 10 years on each life sentence before I became eligible. So even at 17, while it seemed like a long time, I had to do 20 years before I became eligible. That's 37 years old. I would still be very young, still have a, have a whole life ahead of me, still have an opportunity to do the things that I wanted to do. So that's where a lot of hope came from. I did believe that if I stayed out of trouble, continue to do the things I like to do, go to school, become a better person, I would. I really believed that I would get out of prison someday. Well, Pastor Paul is vacationing this week. I'm Steve Johnson from Five Stone Media, and you are listening to a remarkable story of transformation from Willie Benton, who was incarcerated for 31 years in Georgia prisons. Once again, here is Five Stone Media's Lee Bailey Sealer. What would you say to a young person who is in prison um, who feels like they need to change who they are to survive. I would say to any young person, I don't know if you have to change who you are, but I think it's important that you discover who you are. And I think that's, that's the great thing that comes with the relationship with God through Jesus Christ is knowing who you are. Um, but that's the biggest thing with a lot of teenagers, a lot of young people today is we, you know, experience identity crisis. They don't know who they are or what they were born to do or what they would like to do and end up following a lot of people. I talk to a lot of young guys um, about gang, you know, gangs and stuff are real big these, these days, right? And I ask, I ask them, okay, first of all, why do you call yourself a gang? You know, we have a lot of organizations, a lot of clubs, a lot of things, you know, that, that you can name it something you know, with a positive, not necessarily, not necessarily something with a negative connotation. So why do you call yourself a gang? And second, I said, how do you choose who you follow? Because some of the things that other people have you doing, you know, why are you doing that? And I, I start asking young guys that. And, and what I discover is that they don't know who they are. They don't know what they're doing. And like, say, for instance, one, one um, today, wearing the sagging pants and stuff is, is, has really become big. And it's been there for years. A lot of guys don't even know where it started. If you catch a guy by himself, a young man by himself, and say, listen, you got on, 
They got on a pair of pants, a pair of shorts, and a pair of boxes. And all of them are exposing your bottom. Why do you do that? Oh, man, that's just my swag. This is what we do. But no, why do you do that? Does it make sense? And a lot of them can't answer that question. They get very quiet. And still it goes back to, do you know who you are? Do you know why you do what you do? And they can't answer that question. So I don't know if people need to change who they are or, or whatever. They need to discover who they are, who they were called to be, and, and, and start walking in that, that calling and that purpose. And I think that's a big difference. Lots of uh, men and women in prison have carried a lot of guilt and shame, even though they're paying the price, they're paying consequences for their crimes. Um, how do you um, help someone? What do you say to someone to help them set that guilt aside? That's a great question. A huge part of how I was able to do very positive and productive time with was associated with acknowledging that I did wrong and I deserve to be punished. You know, that said, once you make that announcement, you have to learn how to forgive yourself and also forgive others. You know, that's that's a huge part of my story is learning to, you know, forgive others. And if you're willing to forgive others, learning to forgive yourself, because as I said, you know, um, a huge part of what happened to me, I, I was a victim. And, you know, to have somebody point a gun at you and hit you upside the head with a gun and, and, and you watch them shoot your brother, that that does, you know, stir up some things in you. Uh, but I had to learn to release that and and forgive them. And then I had to learn to forgive myself because, you know, my son was uh, like 14 months when I went to prison. So I, I left a lot of things um, behind. I left a lot of people I love um, and I hurt a lot of people. And, it, you know, when you realize that, you know, I learned that even your family becomes like your secondary victim. You have your primary victim, you have secondary victims. But to even realize that my family was a victim to the things and the poor choices that I, that I made, I had, to, I had to acknowledge that. But then I had to learn to forgive myself for that. And that's huge for a lot of people. If you can release that. And it's not easy. And, and quite frankly, I don't know if you can do it on your own. You know, you know, once you realize the Christ that uh, the, the price that Jesus Christ paid for us to forgive us and he's willing to forgive us, that we can forgive ourselves and forgive others. I knowing that and walking in it definitely makes it easier. We have we have a saying <laughs> if it if it's something that you love to do, it doesn't seem like work. When you understand the love that God has for you and the life that you know, in the plans that God has for you, you know, as an individual, um, you, you, you would want to, to tap into that. If I, I've heard all kinds of things about, you know, religion and, 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 and Jesus and it's the white man's religion. They stole it, all kind of things. But this is the thing I had to learn. Try it for yourself. You have to try it. And, and particularly, I think for men, and I know for me, I, I tried everything I could in my own power. You know, and I had to get to a point where there was nothing else I could do to actually let lay it down and let God, you know, let go and let God. And when I did that and when I tried it myself, you know, the results were there. So, you know, you know, have a relationship with God. It's really it's really not work. It's not a whole bunch of rules. It's not all that religious stuff. You have to understand it's about a relationship with the father, with the one who created you. 
with the one who has great plans and thoughts for you. So it's it's not it's not a whole lot. It's, it's and I and I tell you, I'm not um um a Bible thumper, a scripture quote. I don't do all that, you know. But to me, I, I know that God's protection, his favor on my life, even when I did not know him, is real. You know, and that's why I encourage people to just understand that that God, the God we serve, the God we believe in, the God who believes in us, he is real. But you just have to try it. So uh, talk about how you uh, you met your, what, what, who had become your wife. Uh, tell that story in a sort of happy, God's happy coincidence yeah, it's interesting how how I met my wife slash my my help meet my help mate. Um, once I realized that that God had equipped me with gifts and talents, and I and I made a conscious decision to use my gifts and talents to be a blessing to others, particularly in in my writing. Um, instead of doing like street fiction, I love fiction writing. Instead of doing just street fiction or or crime novels or whatever, I, I started, I made a conscious decision to write inspirational books, inspirational novels, uplifting, um, you know, people of faith. So in doing that, in serving, that's when God blessed me with the with my, my soulmate, you know, my wife. He, he brought someone along to help me, to enhance me in what, what I was doing. When I met my wife, I'd already published um, five or six books while in prison and she was she she owned the company and helped develop and help um self-published authors put their books out there so it's, it's, it's ironic how how god did that we connected you know do something with books and publishing in which we could talk about all day and all night because we had it in common but we clearly realized that god was doing something very different because we developed a very mutually beneficial relationship uh, friendship where i was she was helping me i was helping her and together we was helping others. So that's how, how God did that. Talk about how, uh, how long you had, where were you in your sentence when you met? And then were you worried about having a relationship with someone because you were still locked up and you didn't want to make them wait? Or Yeah, uh, initially when I was first locked up, like I knew I had to do a lot of time. So my focus was primarily on myself. I was not trying to be in any kind of relationship or, or, or a prison relationship, anything like that. But by the time I met my wife and was, you know, actually, you know, being very positive, productive, you know, writing books and, and things like that, I had probably served almost 25 years. And at that time, I had been denied parole maybe three times. Three times, two years. We call it a set-off or two-year set-off. They told me to do two more years. So... When I met her, I was getting ready to come up for parole in like maybe seven months, and I was definitely thinking that I was I would be getting out. So that that, that changed my whole perspective on on being in a relationship. And looking back now, it's like a blur. Pastor Paul again is vacationing this week. I'm Steve Johnson from Five Stone Media, and you're listening to a remarkable story, a transformative story of Willie Benton who was incarcerated for 31 years in Georgia prisons. I served almost 31 years in prison, and it's, it's, like, it's like now that God has redeemed the time, redeemed everything, it's just like, man, when did that happen? It's like a whole other lifetime. But that's how fast things go, and that's how things work when you align your plans with God's plan, when you focus on what He would have you to do and not on your situation. 
for anyone looking to be released from prison soon or, or, or upcoming, my advice is to take a look around where you are in whatever institution, whatever prison you are, and, and take a look at it with different eyes. Understand that, you know, the rules that you follow, the things that you're doing, that they're asking you to do, those things are actually in place designed to help you prepare you for your release. It's funny, I, I kid you not, but a lot of things, like say for instance, the prison I was at, they talked a lot about get ready for inspection. A lot of people always visit our prison. You always have to clean, have to get up in the morning, have to do these things. But guess what? When I when I came back to the real, to the free world, as we call it, I realized it's the same thing. I work for a huge corporation now. A lot of visitors come. A lot of business clients come. And guess what? It's almost the same thing. Get ready for inspection. Get in here early. Get everything cleaned up. Paint out, paint, paint this and get out. It's almost the same thing. So while some people be freaking out about it, I'm used to it. I'm used to it. It's almost the same thing. So that's that's the thing I would say to people in prison is realize that, you know, everything is a matter of how you look at it, how you focus on it. But understand that everything that's that's before you in prison is going to prepare you to get out of prison and stay out of prison. If you take it seriously, if you take it to heart and learn the things that you need to learn. Well, Pastor Paul is vacationing this week. I'm Steve Johnson from Five Stone Media, and you are listening to a remarkable story of transformation from Willie Benton, who was incarcerated for 31 years in Georgia prisons. Once again, here is Five Stone Media's Lee Bailey Sealer. There's a lot of guys, uh, women too, get out of prison and they want to put it behind them and pretend it never happened. Is that healthy? Should you use your time, use the memory of your time after you're out? How do you, how do you treat that? That's, that's a great question. Um, and really, I, I want to say it, it, it really depends. You, you never forget what you've been through. You never forget where you come from, but you also don't don't stigmatize yourself. You don't become stuck to a label. Now, I I, I give you an example uh, of things that, you know, how, how, how prison works. People used to always ask me, um, are you an inmate or are you a convict? What do you think my answer would be? My answer is I'm neither. You can't put me in the box. If you want to call me something, call me a son of the Most High God. You understand? So I know guys that 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 in prison, they 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 I've been in 10 years. I've been in 15 years it means you're a veteran of it. And you, that's that's a badge. That's an honor you wore. You wore. And I know even going through the transition center where I, it was it was it was it was uh, along with myself. It was another guy that had life and he was released, too. But in almost every setting that we had. In every, every conversation that we had, we was taking groups and, and, and doing interviews and things. He always brought it up. Oh, man, I served almost 30 years in prison. You know, you know, I, yeah, in prison. I don't I don't think you have to do that when your mind is focused on on who you are, what you're called to do, what, you, what you're going into. I don't think you have to, you know, wear that that prison experience as a as a badge or or use it as a crutch. I don't think you have to do all, all those things, you know. And a lot of people tell me, man, if you know, if, if, if you never told me, I would never know you've been in prison. 
even people that I met, I was in prison, it's like, yeah, something different about you. But I, I never succumbed to that whole thing that I was either a convict or an inmate or a prisoner. Yeah, I committed a crime. I did something. But that does, that does not define who I am. It does not define where I'm going. It's not define what I'm going to do with my life. So it's the same thing when I get out. You know, it's the same thing. You know, I don't I don't go around on my job. Oh, man, you just don't know. I did 30 years in prison. You know, you better not miss me. I did 30. Yeah, I don't I don't do that kind of stuff. So so it, it just it just depends on the person, depends on the situation. But I never subscribe to those kind of things. Well, once again, Pastor Paul is on vacation for this week and next. Next week, we'll hear from Willie Benton's wife, Anne Maria, who has an amazing story of her own. And we'll find out how they met and details about a marriage while he was still in prison. I felt like this is where I belonged, to the point where I would go, and there was there were days I couldn't go with anybody else. I would go in by myself. But I felt like my army was already in there. So I had just developed a love for prison ministry. I had developed a love. I had gone to men's prison, just myself and someone else, and we felt protected there. So I knew this is where God had me. But as I look back over my life, I know that this was like the setup. Sure, ministry, I love ministry, but the husband God had for me I had to be able to have the open mind because, you know, great things don't often come in the best-looking packages. I hope you'll join us for another edition of Life Support, a co-production of Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota, and Five Stone Media. You can reach Five Stone Media at fivestonemedia.com. That's fivestonemedia, spelled out, dot com. We'll see you next week. listening to this life support podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make a gift now at myfaithradio.com. To avoid missing future editions of life support, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or your podcast player. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and grow the impact of life support.